If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 12. We're going to be starting in verse 38. So in the mid-2000s, uh, I had some friends and some people I knew uh, who were just like killing it financially. You know, just people who were just, you know, where my bank account was veering towards the negative, theirs were abundant and great. And I don't know if you've ever been there before on one side of that or the other, but on the side I was on, you can tend to get envious. You can tend to get, man, look at what's going on. Wow, you know, I wish, you know, here I am this old and here's this going on. And man, you know, you start looking and start wondering, at least maybe the couple of us that are honest in this room. Um, but what was interesting or even sad was that when 2008 came around, when the, the financial crisis came, I saw many people lose everything. And I'm not saying that people didn't in this room didn't lose something, but I know people who lost everything. Just in a blink of an eye, it was gone. And, you know, it's sort of funny because now, you know, with the stock markets going up and having been gone up for so long, it gets challenging to want to depend on that bottom line. You know, to look at that, what, you know, percentage that growth that is, if you have something like that, or, you know, maybe you're looking at that account like I used to, where it's almost bordering a negative, but you get, and, and if you're not careful, you get hopeful in the bottom line. You get dependent on that, and you start focusing on it. In the Old, or in the old Testament into the New Testament, you had the leaders of the church, the scribes, that they, they sort of lived off of uh, the donations of the people. And, you know, that's the way God prescribed it to be. And, you know, what began to happen, if you've been with us in Mark in this past chapter, there's been judgment on the leaders. There's been judgment on uh, God's people about not listening to God and, and not focusing on the things of God. And God said, if you don't come to me, that I, I will turn from you. And, he, and he, he just says it over and over again. And so one hand, you have the hand of God in favor. And another hand, you have the hand of God that comes against us. And for us as Christians, it's sort of like, choose this day who you're going to serve. Which one do you want to meet? You know, and so in our human nature of wanting to have control and, and garner everything that we can, we can tend to be controlling of everything. Just, I've got it figured out. I am the only one I can trust. I am the only one who's faithful. I'm the only one who's responsible. I'm the only one who cares. It's got to be my way. And God constantly cuts away at the pride of that in his people. He chops it away. Just chops it, chops it, and chops it. In verse 38, we see that Jesus was talking and it said, and in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes 
who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace. You remember last week that a scribe actually came to him because Jesus was speaking truth in love. He was being winsome. The scribe actually came to him and asked him a legit answer and got a legitimate response. And Jesus says, you're near to the kingdom. But at the same time, there were a group, not all the scribes were bad, but there were a group of the scribes who liked the power that they had. They liked their long robes. They liked their tassels. The way to think about it is if you've ever been to a graduation at a university and you see uh, the different color robes and all the stripes on the arms and, you know, the colors defining where you went to school and, you know, if you were a Harvard graduate, you have this and people see it. And, and some of you are just like, I don't really care about any of that. But, you know, or maybe you're in a, uh, a hunting blind and, and your shotgun's the newest Duck Unlimited International version that you won or whatever and your gun is better than theirs. And, and you know, it's just, I want to walk around and be noticed to describe would walk to the streets. And it was like, yeah, I'm contextualizing this. Yeah, look at me, here I come. Walk away, part, make room, because I'm here. Uh, a way to think about it in the earlier uh, part of our century, I would say even up into the 60s, a pastor of a church was highly regarded I mean highly regarded. They were the ones that the community sort of revolved around. What they said, and I'm not saying this is all right, tended to go. They were revered in the community. And I want to say right now, that is not the case. There's a general respect, but there is not an esteem really until you earn the, you know, the heart of the people. But the scribes liked it. They liked their front seat. And I have to pick on myself as I was studying for it. I'm like, I sit in the front seat. But most people don't want the front seat in our context. The back seat is to be lauded. Would you all say amen back there? (laughs) The back seat is the seat of of wonder. And it's the seat where you don't have to, you know, a lot of times you don't have to interact as much. Or at least um, it's safer back there. Before my wife, I like to sit in the back. But now as many men will know, that you tend to listen to your wives. But these people, um, they like their greetings. They like their respect. They like to be noticed. They like to be the man in the room. And to be honest, we like that. We can say we don't, but probably look in the mirror and get yourself together, wondering how you know, you're going to look and present yourself to people. How are you going to be viewed? They did this. But in verse 42, it says, And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. These two coins were the lowest denomination. That's why the penny word is used in uh, this area. It equaled one sixty-fourth of a denarius. A denarius equaled one day's wage. So the widow came up, and she uh, put two coins in. Now, in the temple, there was the, the first enclosure was the court of women, so everyone was welcome there, and they had these shofar boxes Uh, I had no idea until this week there was such a thing. Uh, They had shofar boxes where it was like an offering box. 
and they would come and they would go out and they would have people seated there and you would give your offering and depending on what you wanted, the, the, the scribes would decide whether you were giving enough to get the sacrifice that was required. And so it became a show. Some of you, I know there's so many new people here I don't know. When I was a kid, I went to a church. They had a offering Sunday where, kid you not, the deacons walked around with plates. And if you dropped a dollar in, you got an amen. If you dropped like a 10, you got a praise the Lord. If you dropped a 100 in, you got a hallelujah and a dance. I sat there, wanted to drop around. Uh, I'm not going to say that. Uh, I sat there in utter shock of what was going on in the congregation. It was just, it was like this. It was like, and so we've heard the other story in the other gospels of where, you know, they would come in all pompous and drop their big change in. And I say change, meaning, you know, Benjamin. They would drop big money in for everyone to see. While there wasn't a hallelujah, praise God dance, there was a recognition of esteem from giving so much. So this widow came and she put next to nothing in. And he called his disciples, excuse me, and he sat down, go back to 41, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came in and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. There's two ways to look at this. In the church, a true widow, and I don't have time to unpack this today, but they were, if a woman was in her 20s and was widowed, she wasn't considered a true widow. There was an age limit. There was a time when they recognized that, you know, probably the time of getting married and having a family to care for them is over, and the church was called to care for them. And so here, you know, you see a widow who should have been, and we don't know whether she was or not, but should have been cared for by the church. It was prescribed to be done. But she came and she dropped her two copper coins in the shofar box. And Jesus marveled and said she gave everything. Now, at the, the other end of that, if you want to bring it to our context, I think we see the same thing going on in our society, particularly on TV. Um, and I'm talking about by Christians preying on some elderly for their last dollar. In the Midwest, there was a, uh, not in the church environment, but there was a dance studio that preyed on older people. They, they prayed on their loneliness. They prayed on their need to feel and belong, that they brought them in and they charged them money and to take them places. And even when they didn't have money, they ended up going to their house and asking for money and taking the old lady to the bank to second, get a second on her mortgage 
to pay. So leadership and greed have been constant in our society. But Jesus is looking at this lady and go, her heart is right. Her heart is right. The scribes and the Pharisees, they're giving out of their abundance. They have a lot. What they give doesn't doesn't affect them much. But this lady is given from her all. Ultimately, in the end, you'll see that it says, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but out of her poverty has put in everything she had and all she had to live on. Depending on what side of the the aisle you fall in, you can look at it and say, that lady was being manipulated. She should have used her money to provide for her family. On the other end, you can look and say, this lady didn't trust in the copper. She trusted in her God. She had been cared before time and time again by God the Father. She gave trusting that she would be cared for. Now, what I don't want to do here is turn this in to a, this is how we all have to give. We've got to give everything. We've got to do this stuff. But I need to ask you a question. In your life, are you given Jesus part, and I'm not talking just finances, I'm not talking just time, talent, and treasure, I'm talking about a whole thing. Are you halfway committed to the Lord, or are you completely everything that she had? Everything that you have is Jesus. Are you a steward or an owner? Are you taking care of what is given to you as if it is all Jesus's, or have you assumed the fact that that bottom line in the checking account or in the fidelity account or whatever, that is your thing? That is what matters to you. That is what is driving you. Jesus was getting ready to give his all. You can't miss the connection here. Jesus looked at a lady who was giving her all, knowing that he was getting ready to give his all. In our church, historically over these past 12 years, it has not been the majority of people that have given and sustained by tithes and offering of this church, it has been the minority. I, out of fear of not wanting to be that Baptist pastor that's up there preaching and and trying to get up 
stuff, you know, did not want to make it an effort. We have never passed the plate. We've never drawn a lot of attention to it. But the fact of the matter is we have not taught well our people on tithing and of offerings. So if you look at this context, Jesus isn't diminishing the need of giving. He is not saying that you have to go and give everything in your bank account. That is not what he's saying. But giving generosity is a principle in Scripture. It is a principle that God says that test me on this, trust me on this. I have given you what you have that you are called as a steward to give back. That and when you begin, like I actually quoted the phrase that is totally wrong from the Bible in my past that says money is the root of all evil. That is not the quote. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. It is when it becomes the bottom line that you get infected with, that you don't care about the widow, that you don't care about the homeless, that you don't care about justice, that you don't care about oppression, that you become like the scribes and Pharisees, and Jesus pronounced judgment on it. And if your trust is in that bottom line, anything can take it away at any time. Many of us are but an illness away. Many of us might be a, a 1929 type of stock meltdown, even worse than 2008. We're away from being totally dependent on God. I remember when I went to Nepal with Herb and Laura, I was struck by the fact that the people who had nothing gave the most. And I think that sometimes we get this pauper mentality that I don't make enough to give back, and God knows that, and we're good. When it says that repentance, is not, repentance isn't about that. Repentance is following the word. Not what I say, but what the word says, that we should be a generous people. That we should not just give out of our abundance, but we are called to give first fruits unto the Lord. There's never enough, for most of us in this room, let's just be honest, there is never enough to give at the end of the cycle. There never is. But we are not called to give of the leftovers to God. We're not called to take the TV dinner out and cook it and get full. You ever do that, that foil thing when you're a kid? Uh, you young people have no idea what I'm talking about. But you pull it back, and all I cared about is that crummy little dessert. <laughs> you remember, it's a top middle, and it was there, and it's like, you know, you got to eat it all. You know, and there, I mean, for a growing kid, that was not a, a, uh, a full meal. But it is what it is, right? But you can't. Feed on everything that God gives you and just go, well, if I have enough, I'm just going to give back a little. The Bible offers time and time again that we're to be generous, that we as a people are to be generous. And because we have not focused on that, we have not been able to give as generously to missions organizations that come asking to things we have not been able to do that because we have been busy, you know, keeping things going. And I publicly repent of that right now to you. We are called to be a people that when Jesus says and he looks at us, 
He goes, they gave everything. Again, I'm not talking a bottom dollar number. I'm not saying anything, but the heart of us is what God looks at. If I go and I look up the numbers and I just sort of give and I really don't even care, that's a problem too. But we are called to give all. What's our biggest incentive in that? First is obedience. You know, it strikes me that that word keeps coming back. Obedience, obedience. People ask me, what's the will of God for my life? I have an answer now. Obedience, obedience, obedience. What, just as of robotic obedience? No, a joyful obedience, a trusting obedience, a hopeful obedience. We are called to be like that widow that gives us unto the Lord. Now, I'm not saying how or what or whatever, but I'm saying that as a body, if you're a part of this body, that we're called to be generous people, generous to the homeless down the street. I'm not saying give cash. I'm saying generosity should pour out from us, not just here, but everywhere we go. And the beauty of it is God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I know the robin. His eye is on the sparrow. He knows the number of hair on my head that he cares. This widow knew that God cared for her. Grace, as you beautifully said, that God has got my back when I am trusting him, when I'm obedient to him when I am faithful in everything to him. You put that last quote up again. The problem in worship, whether it's in our giving, whether it's in our singing, whether it's in our service, whether it's in anything that we do in our life, is this the more biblical and beautiful its form becomes, whether it's in tithing or generosity or singing the type of songs, the spirit in the room, the more beautiful its form becomes, the more useful it is as a mechanism for evading honest dealing with God and the more plausible as a substitute for repentance. Giving is not a substitute for repentance. Acting like you've got it all together is not a substitute for repentance. Lifting up your hands, bowing at the altar on outward form is not a substitute for repentance. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear that God delights in your obedience and your repentance. And that is true worship. That's the kind of worship that'll get you through grace when the world seems to be falling over. That's the kind of worship that will deal in your family lives when things don't go as you want them to go and things don't appear like they should appear. Those things will go in your job place when people aren't treating you well. 
when you're walking by the Spirit and you're obedient before God, He will direct your paths. It is a promise. It is a promise we're to cling hold to, folks. Would you join me in worshiping God in a spirit of repentance, in a spirit of reflection, and in prayer of desiring to be obedient?